Well, good morning and welcome to Hope Community Church. I am AK, the pastor of Youth and Family Ministries here, um, and I'm going to read our passage for today, and we get the joy of hearing from Sid Druin um, this morning. And I'm going to read our passage, and then I'm going to pray for our time together before he comes up and preaches. So it'll pop up on the screen behind me, or you can follow along in the bulletin. We're starting a new sermon series, walking through the Ten Commandments. We thought this would just be a sweet way to, we looked at the life of Moses, and now we're going to specifically look at, at the law, um, and Deuteronomy 5 really sets us up for that. So let's turn our attention to God's word. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are, all, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the gift of this morning, a time that is set apart where we get to come together and, and freely worship you. Father, I know we come in with anxious thoughts, with worry, um, with minds full of everything that is um, coming up this week or maybe that we experienced the week before, I pray that now that you would quiet our minds. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would um, help us this morning to hear uh, the good news of um, what your law, how it directs us, how it gives us this way to live, this way to flourish. I pray that your law would become um, more beautiful to us this morning. Um, and Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to fulfill the law perfectly that gives us um, that freedom that changes duty into delight. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to grasp, to get a glimpse, a little understanding of what that means for duty to turn into delight. I pray that you would be with Sid as he comes and preaches this morning. I pray that um, the Spirit would work in and through him. Would you give us ears to hear? Would you soften our hard hearts? And when would you give us clear minds? We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, AK. Um, also, aren't the youth, aren't they leaving for Greece on Tuesday? So just keep that in your thoughts and prayers um, as they get ready to go across the Atlantic. Well, uh, good morning again, and my name is Sid Drew, and I'm the pastor of community groups here at Hope Community Church. Uh, I think I know most of you, um, but in case I don't, that's who I am, and I get opportunity to open God's Word uh, to you this morning and study it together, and uh, I get to do that in a new sermon series, and we are starting a sermon series for the summer as AK highlighted that's based on the Ten Commandments, and we're excited about bringing this to you. Uh, but maybe especially when you hear what we're studying, uh, the Ten Commandments, maybe 
uh, many of us don't feel all that excited about that topic. <laughs> and I want to kind of enter into that a little bit with us. For the last few months, we have been walking with Moses uh, in the life of Moses from Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land, which is modern-day Israel and Palestine. It seemed natural for us to slow down and linger over what the rest of the Bible and world history uh, would suggest as Moses' chief contribution, the law of God, and maybe especially the Ten Commandments. And really, whether you call yourself a Christian here this morning, or maybe Christian is not a name that you feel entirely comfortable with, wherever you are with Jesus, it's just important for us all to recognize that the Ten Commandments is essential Christian reading. It's essential Christian reading. Despite a lot of misunderstandings, I will go into those this morning, uh, despite the misunderstandings, Christians have been turning to the Ten Commandments uh, for direction, uh, for life's biggest questions for thousands and thousands of years. Christians have been asking questions like, how do I pray, and looking to the Ten Commandments. Christians have been asking, how do I live? How do I live in all of my relationships, my relationship with God, my relationship with, every, with neighbor, my relationship with myself, with the world? And we've been turning to the Ten Commandments all over the world and for thousands of years. Let me put this in a different way. Uh, so I moved back to North Carolina. I went to school, college here, and I moved back and I worked at the college where I worked. Oh, sorry, I worked at the college where I studied. And um, that was about 10 years ago. And one of the first things I noticed on that college campus were the well-worn shortcuts all over the place. I don't know if you've beautiful lawns, they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on the grass, lots of signs saying keep off the grass, yet there were these well-worn shortcuts from the academic building to the dorms, even right next to paved paths, like just whatever the most close, uh, short, the shortest distance between two points had a well-worn dirt path right there. And the Ten Commandments is sort of like one of those well-worn paths. They're, they're, they're sort of like this well-used shortcut to walk through a lot of content, a lot of pages of a very big book called the Bible. And so the Ten Commandments give us this path to follow when we ask, what do I actually do with all of this Christian information? What is love? What does love look like? What does it look like to give love? What does it look like to receive love? And so our hearts and minds turn to the Ten Commandments. But before we go into more of how the book of Deuteronomy sets up this direction towards the Ten Commandments, I did just want to take another moment to pray, uh, to settle our hearts, and uh, to, to turn our gaze to Jesus. So let's do that together. Father, we do trust that you're in these words. Jesus, we trust that you're the, the word of life made flesh to dwell among us. Would you steady my heart? Would you direct my gaze? And would you do the same for everyone here? As AK prayed, we we're bringing a lot into this space. And I pray that we wouldn't shelve all that. I pray that we'd bring it to your feet. I pray that it would be transformed by looking to your words, that we'd see everything that we've brought into this place, our very selves, in a whole new light. And most of all, Jesus, would we see you differently? Will we see you high and lifted up? 
more believable and beautiful to the eyes of our hearts. We pray this by the power of the Holy Spirit and in your name. Amen. A few weeks ago, I did what a lot of you have probably done in the month of May, maybe why it's called Maycember. I went to a graduation ceremony. Uh, maybe you've done this, this, this past May. Uh, you've done this probably in another May in your lifetime, a couple of times, probably very recently. I went to a high school graduation. It was, it was, in, it was held in a, a football stadium of a high school, uh, and there were a lot of people there just tons and tons of people. Just to give you a sense of how many people were there, we, had, we got there, like, I thought pretty early, but we were definitely late compared to everyone else. And we, had to, we double parked, and it was so crowded that we double parked a, a, a in front of a row of cars that were double parked in front of another row of cars that were double parked. <laughs> That's how kind of crazy full it was. And then we kind of found our friends, and they were sitting at the 30-yard line, halfway up the bleachers, and so we had to kind of excuse me, all crawl over all these different people to get to this one little space in these bleachers that was just packed with people. And then when we sat down, our shoulders were, my shoulders were rubbing into the shoulder of someone else, and my lower back was rubbing into a knee behind me. It was very tight, uh, very exciting. Uh, Place. And I want to sort of, I won't deny that some of that feeling of an atmosphere, that pressed in feeling, heightened my emotions for the ceremony. And especially, I found myself excited and nervous for the commencement address. As someone who speaks publicly, is doing that right now, I put myself in that speaker's shoes. He was retiring as a principal. And I felt that moment with him as he went up to the podium. The odd quiet, the shifting crowd, the restless row of graduates in their caps and gowns. And I felt this because after all, this is like the one time in 21st century America and like everyday life where a graduate speech is the one time where we actually ask someone to come and give us advice. If you think about it, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a, an odd moment for us. We're saying, would you please tell us how to live as adults? Or at least tell these people and we'll listen in. And so I found myself as an adult holding my breath in this sort of odd, restless moment before this man stood up and began to speak. And begin he did. And he began in a way I could have never imagined. And I'll spare you my version of it. But he sang an off-key, acapella version of a Bette Midler song, The Wind Beneath My Wings. And I won't sing it for you, but just to give you a little reminder, did you ever know that you're my hero? And everything I would like to be, I can fly higher than an eagle, but you are the wind beneath my wings. And after that, I don't know how the speaker recovered, <laughs> but he kept going and he said a bunch of things, some advice about the adult world that he meant for us all to remember, and I, don't, I forgot completely already. This scene a few week, weeks ago kind of mirrors the scene we have in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Moses is giving a speech before row after row of Israelites, men, women, and children. And the occasion is a commencement ceremony, right? Moses is about to retire as Israel's leader, in fact, this is his last speech before he goes and dies looking into the promised land, that scene that we 
all looked at last week together. And God's people are at this sort of turning point, at the border of a very adult moment. A commencement address, kind of that commencement is like looking backwards to where they've come, you know, being delivered from slavery in Egypt, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and then looking forward to where they're going to go, to the promised land, to the strange new land that they've been promised by God. And my guess is right before hearing Moses open his mouth, we, and especially the ancient Israelites, might have found their breath catch. What will Moses say? What kind of advice are we supposed to remember and maybe forget? Verse 1, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. And if we're feeling especially honest this morning, Moses leading with that kind of intro to the Ten Commandments, ten do's and ten don'ts to hear and to learn and to do, that can feel like an off-key acapella version of the wind beneath my wings. Well-intentioned, but it comes across as off-key. For me, growing up, and I grew up not as a Christian, and I grew up in a home where I heard those Ten Commandments kind of in the culture, and I thought those are ten steps to climb in order to get into heaven. A heaven that I understood and then dismissed as sort of like a spa upgrade with Christian elevator music. That's kind of how I thought heaven was growing up, okay? Or maybe the Ten Commandments to you sounds like ten things I try to do in order to stay on top of my life and stay on good terms with God. You know, so that God doesn't make me sleep on the couch or he doesn't, worse, kick me out of his house. These are things I do to make my life work. Some of us here are actually thinking we're doing pretty good at the Ten Commandments as we think of them. We're doing good and we're doing well, and life is going great. Thank you very much, Sid. And others of us are already packing our ex-Christian overnight bag, and we're out of here, mentally and emotionally. But what if, we're, what if we've missed it? What if we've missed the gift of the Ten Commandments in the midst, in the midst of all that baggage? What if a closer reading of Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, offered us some important clues, clues like who gives this gift? How is this gift given? What is this gift for? In a sentence, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, tell us the Ten Commandments are a gift, and this gift is given to us as an expression of God's unconditional affection for us. It's a lot, so I hope it's behind me on the screen. And really what we're going to do is just unpack that sentence, that summary of Deuteronomy chapter 5. First, verses 2 through 3 tell us the Ten Commandments are given to us in a dedicated relationship. Second, we're going to look at verses 4 through 6, and they tell us that the Ten Commandments are given to us for unconditional reasons. And third and finally, we're going to circle back to verse 1 
and rediscover how the commandments are a surprising gift. And so first, the relationship, second, the unconditional reasons, and third, the surprising gift. That's kind of where we're going this morning, and we're going to begin with verses two and three, and we're going to look at the relationship of the Ten Commandments and what they're for. So look with me, if you would, at verse 2. If you, if you kind of read the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 5 carefully with us, you'll notice that this is sort of a, an abrupt transition for Moses. Like in verse 2, we kind of, if you're reading along, we expect Moses to tell us what the rules and statutes are. <laughs> it says, hear them, learn them, do them, and we expect, well, what are they? It's sort of like he's changing tracks on his train of thought. And Moses is doing this thing. He's saying, the Lord our God, right after all that, the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. What? So what? Just to make sure we're all sort of sharing the same confusion. (laughs) Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. And the covenant made here refers to the specific relationship that God and his people have mutually agreed to at Mount Sinai or Horeb. And verse 3 adds that this covenant relationship with God extends past the previous generation who spoke it with God at the foot of Mount Sinai. Okay, it was not just with our fathers uh, did the Lord make this covenant. The covenant continues to now include the second generation. There at the time of Deuteronomy chapter 5 and even those here this morning who believe in Jesus, but also with us, who are all of us here alive today. That's the what of verses 2 and 3. Like the Israelites before us, those who believe in Jesus are in this kind of relationship with God that the Bible calls a covenant. The so what is that this covenant sets our expectations. It tells us how God relates to us and how we're to relate to God. And the way that Moses introduces the Ten Commandments kind of goes against our expectations, right? We expect that we're going to start with ourselves. What am I supposed to do? And Moses instead starts with what God and what God's supposed to do, what he promises he's going to do for us. And I want to sit in that a little bit because it's a little bit counterintuitive. Before we ask how do we relate to God, I want us to see how God relates to us. And the answer that the Bible returns to over and over again is this. God acts towards us a lot like a dedicated parent. Through Jesus, God adopts us as his children forever. This means this. We are connected and secure with God. We can't lose our relationship with God. He will always be our father. We will always be his sons and daughters. And at the exact same time, the dynamics of that relationship can change. God gives us independence and wisdom to use or not use. And this leads to good and bad life outcomes. How do we hold that together? (laughs) I appreciate how the Christian counselor, Dan Allender, puts this both and of the covenant. Every child grows up asking 
his or her parent two fundamental questions. So every one of us grows up asking these two questions, whether we know we're asking them or not. It's a heart-level question. Do you really love me? Mom, Dad, do you really love me? And, Mom and Dad, can I get my way all the time? Can I get my way all the time? And there's this kind of average parent, one kind of average parent shows and tells their children, yes, yes to both questions. Yes, I love you no matter what, and yes, you can have your way all the time. I grew up like this. This was like my household. <laughs> yes, I love you. Yes, do whatever you want. And I can speak from experience that I felt a mostly secure connection with my parents, but I felt a real lack of outward purpose and direction. I kind of felt like I had to be the adult over myself and tell myself to go to school and tell myself to study and tell myself what and why to do it. But then there's this kind of opposite kind of parent who shows and tells their children no to both of those questions. No, I don't love you no matter what. And no, you can't have your way all the time. This child has the outward outward purpose to do good, but often grows up feeling disconnected and lonely. And then there's the worst kind of parent. That parent shows and tells the child no and yes. No, I don't love you no matter what. I don't want to be with you. And then that parent also says yes, do whatever you want. I won't be bothered with you. And then there's the best kind of parent that show and tell their, parent, their children yes and no. Yes, I love you no matter what, but no, you can't have your way all the time. This gives the child an unconditional security of relationship and the wisdom to do good. And it's also a tiny picture of God's perfect parenting. He constantly gives us no matter what love. And at the same time, he's always providing wise limits for us. And look, some of you are like, finally someone's telling me how to parent. Um, I'm not trying to do that necessarily, but fine. Um, but some of you and some of you are geeking out in this moment. And others of you are like, that seems like a lot of information to take in, uh, especially if you've never heard that before. But I think it's worth spelling out for us to have some categories to think about how we grew up, how each of us in this room is growing up or grew up. And if you are a parent, how we do parent, or at least how we'd like to parent. And as we kind of wrestle with those, that self-knowledge, we need to hold on all the more tightly to that picture of God as the perfect father who's absolutely dedicated to us and what's called a covenant. And that's really where the flow of the text goes. If verses two through three tell us who gives the gift of the Ten Commandments, God is our affectionate, dedicated dad. Verses four through six tell us why and how the Ten Commandments are given. They're given for unconditional reasons. That's our second point this morning. 
Verse 6 plainly states the reason the Ten Commandments are given. Why, the Ten Commandments follow verse 6, right after verse 6, verses 7 through 21, tell us the Ten Commandments, okay? And verse 6 says this, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God gives us the Ten Commandments based on who he is. I'm the Lord your God. And God gives us the, the Ten Commandments based on what he's done. He's saying, I am the man who, I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This means that God is giving us directions for how to live after, after he's already saved us, after he's promised to love us no matter what. That's, why is that important? Because we so often read the Ten Commandments the exact opposite way. We read the Ten Commandments as God's demands based on who I am and what I need to do. I need to be this kind of son, that kind of dad, this kind of brother, that kind of employee, this kind of friend, in order to make my life work, in order to be accepted by God, to get into a relationship with God, or maybe just to keep it going, to stay okay with him. Or I need to do these 10 major things for God and for other people in order to make things happen, in order to be accepted, to get into a relationship with God or stay in that relationship, to keep the relationship steady or on fire. So many of us operate this way so much of the time because of our personal stories. And key relationships we've had with people, oftentimes our parents, our hearts asked, do you really love me? And we heard, and more often than not felt, a negative answer to that question. No, I don't want to be with you. Again, often in not so many words. We grew up and maybe still feel disconnected and lonely, trying to work for love, to do it through people-pleasing performance, or we're trying to sneak intimacy, looking for love in the dark corners of the internet, or food, or toxic relationships, or gaining attention or freedom by rebelling against the system, or cutting people off to get freedom. But God works the opposite of how we naturally think all relationships work. In the words of pastor and author Tim Keller, religion, that's kind of Keller's word for how relationships naturally operate in our minds. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Christianity says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. But how is that possible? How can the holy God, the Lord your God, just give you acceptance, just give me acceptance, people who have scorned him and others, how can he give us who've broken even the most basic commandments, commandments like stealing and don't steal and don't covet and don't commit adultery with our hands and with our, with our eyes and with our hearts, how can God do this? Verses 4 and 5. 
They show us the way. We need a mediator, someone to stand between the Lord who dwells in the midst of holy fire and us who are afraid because of the fire and won't even go up the mountain to meet him. And yes, Moses was able to speak to God face to face, and he declares the words of God to us, first to the Israelites and then to us through the Bible. But I want you to see that Jesus is the greater Moses. He's the word of the Lord. And he came down from the mountain of heaven, not just to give us some more advice to remember or possibly forget, but Jesus came to live a perfect life, a perfect love. He performed all the Ten Commandments with his hands and his eyes and his heart, and he died on a cross to give us a perfect record so that we don't have to perform anymore. We don't have to make life work. We don't have to get things to happen. We don't have to secure God's love and acceptance. It's been secured for you. So we can obey out of that acceptance instead of obeying for that acceptance. God gives the Ten Commandments from this place of unconditional love. God loves first. He loved us when we were yet his enemies. He loves us now in the midst of our failures at love. And this is so important, it's so foundational to not just the Ten Commandments and understanding the Ten Commandments, it's so foundational and important to our understanding of who God is, of our relationship with God, and even our relationship with the world and how it works. And if we take this seriously, that this is true, it leads us into some uncomfortable places, but some really freeing places. We're free to finally ask one of the great questions of Christianity. The question that the Apostle Paul repeatedly asks in his New Testament letters. And writer Dave Zoll puts so well. What do you want to do now that you don't have to do anything? <laughs> what do you want to do now that you don't have to do anything? Do you feel the scandal of that? What kind of religion says that? What do you want to do now that you don't have to do anything? The freedom to even ask this question honestly, to believe that you don't have to do anything, is grounded in God's dedicated relationship to us. A relationship that is set up to be unconditional for us because Jesus fulfilled any and every condition. And so we get to honestly ask and not assume we know the answer. What is this surprising gift? What are the Ten Commandments for? And verse 1 and our third and final point point us towards that answer, to that question. God gives us the gift of the statutes and the rules for us to hear and to learn and to do. But once we kind of understand God really does love us like no one has ever loved us before, our hearts ask Dan Allender's second question. Can't I just get my way all the time? Can't, can't I just get my way? And God, unlike so many other people in our lives, is willing to disappoint us. 
And at the same time, he's willing to enter into life's mess shoulder to shoulder with us. God, our Father, gently says to us, no, your way isn't always right. You oftentimes don't know what's best for you. What you think you want isn't always what you need. You can't always have your way. And so God is entering into my anxiety, my uncertainties about my purpose, about my future, about my responsibilities. And God is saying there, I will bother with you. I will engage you. I will tell you what matters. I will show you what it means to be truly free in this life. And this lines up with a former professor and mentor of mine, Chuck DeGroat, and how he talks about the Ten Commandments. God gave Israel a law. Far from limiting freedom, it aimed to set God's newly liberated people free to flourish. Obedience to God's law sets us free. (laughs) Free even from ourselves, from my own demands for how this life should work in a certain way. And I'll add, this is actually why obedience to God's law also makes the people around us live more freely too. I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone recently about this, and we talk every other week, and um, he's just been a real dear, good friend to me in in a lot of hard times, and I was kind of sharing this with him about my heart's demands and my my life disappointments. Um, Just the most recent chapter. Uh, And (laughs) he reminded me of this children's book that I sent him about a year ago this time, about this time, June of last year. Um, I sent him a book in the mail called uh, The Magician's Elephant by Kate DiCamillo. I don't know if you're familiar with this book. The Magician's Elephant is set in a fictional city, uh, Milanese, or Maltese, excuse me, where the sky is always gray and heavy with clouds, and every day is entirely unremarkable and absolutely the same. A woman at the Maltese fishmonger even says this, who expects anything special nowadays anyway? Not me. I've worn myself out expecting something special. And this woman seems to be speaking for me. And I would add for the author of this book, Kate Camillo. In the acknowledgement section, Camillo thanks her support group who walked with her through a long winter's night. And so the made-up city of Maltese is a setting that reflects or reflected the state of De Camillo's soul, the dim disappointments she was living under. And so it kind of comes as a shock to us when a police officer with the soul of a poet shows up in the middle of the story. Leo Matien, who liked to ask really difficult questions, heart difficult questions. He liked to ask, what if? Why not? Could it possibly be? But these hopeful questions seemed only to discourage the people around him. His wife, Gloria, who has just confessed her desperate desire for a child, and after kind of warmly listening to her 
Um, what we can only assume is a night after night lament of her heart, of feeling barren and alone, unable to have children. Leo fondly responds with this, who are we to say what God intends? What if? To this, Gloria replies, don't you dare. My heart has been broken too many times. And then Leo whispers, what if? And Gloria grunts, no. And Leo asks, why not? No. Could it be? No, said Gloria Matien. It cannot be. But a tired old magician performing in the Maltese opera house just around the corner has conjured up an elephant out of nowhere, and this impossible-to-deny elephant changes everything. The gray, wintry weather of Maltese breaks and bursts forth with sunshine. Families reunite, and new families form, even for Gloria and Leo. And a scene that I read and I'll, a couple years ago, and I'll confess it brought tears to my eyes. I didn't expect it coming. Gloria, one night after dinner, Gloria turns to Peter, who's an, an orphan, a young boy whose parents died in a war and is an orphan, and she simply says this, you, you. And Peter stands up straight like a soldier he's been trained to be, and he says, yes. But instead, to his surprise, Gloria grabs Peter, pulls him close, enveloping him in the smell of mutton stew and starch and green grass. Oh, to be held. He had forgotten entirely what it meant. And there, she said, rocking him back and forth, there, you foolish boy, you foolish, beautiful boy who wants to change the world. And who could keep from loving you? And so begins Gloria and Leo's adoption of Peter. The child she thought would come to her, who comes to her in a totally different way than she could have ever expected. And so the author of the story, Kate DiCamillo, wrote herself out of her season of depression. And she did this by asking, what if? and giving her characters and herself this surprising gift, a magician's elephant. And this elephant proved that anything could happen. Yes, it was a terrible and complicated hope. No, it was not part of the plan. And it brought an orphan and a barren widow, face to, barren woman, excuse me, face to face, and brought them into a family. God, the author of every story in this room. God wrote a surprising gift into human history. A set of ten commands that upend all of our plans for our lives and prove that anything can happen. These ten ways to live freely sound so off-key, like an a cappella version of a Bette Midler song. And they can feel so terrible and so complicated, like hope that whispers into our heartache. What if? Why not? Could it possibly be? But these 10 words 
bring us face to face with Jesus, the Word made flesh, who pulls us close and simply says, you, there, there. And now who could keep from loving you? And so begins everything we ever hoped for, but in a way, in a form, we could have never expected the Ten Commandments. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for these words to us from Deuteronomy. Thank you for being with us in this time. Would your spirit work this hope into our hearts? For some of us, it's very disruptive. Um, Some of us are living our best life now. And for others of us, it's our only hope. And I pray that you would be with wherever our hearts are. Would you massage the truth into them? And would you warm us by your affection? And would you set us free? We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.